0: this is the frontier podcast powered by gun.io the engineer's choice for engineering talent if you like what you hear rate review and subscribe and follow us on twitter at the frontier pod in this episode ledge sits down with greg starling a full stack e-commerce and mobility expert with broad experience in the CTOC. Legend Greg talked through his advice for staying on the right side of Apple's review processes and how to stand out in the crowd to potentially earn yourself a mobility partnership spot, based on his experience at Moncierge. We also discuss how to manage remote team members, going so far as to set up specific video terminals where each remote team member can join conversations with an always-on camera, just like they are in the office. Because one of the hardest team configurations is hybrid, the mix of tools and management techniques is challenging to make it work. At the time of recording, Greg was the CTO of Moncierge. He recently took a new role as Lab's lead for Tailwind.
1: Greg, thanks for joining us today. Really cool to have you.
2: Well, I really appreciate the the opportunity, man. I'm looking forward to to talking today.
1: Very cool. Can you give uh, just two or three minute intro of yourself and your work so the audience can get to know you a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I've been uh, in the, the technology space now for uh, just a little over 20 years. I uh, got a pretty lucky break, uh, stupid kid out of college, I know what I was doing, and uh, but nobody did, and so uh, they didn't want to invest a whole lot in starting off an e-commerce division at a crafting store called Hobby Lobby, some of you probably have heard of, and so I was able to start Hobby Lobby's e-commerce uh, as uh, right out of, out of college, and uh Went from there and and ran a a decent-sized dev shop at a place called uh, MTM Recognition. Uh, If anybody's into sports, it's the cool place that makes pretty much all the trophies. You see, like, the Heisman Trophy, Super Bowl rings, things like that. Uh, Then bounced from that after 12 years of the VP technology there to uh, a startup called WeGoLook, where we did some third-party crowdsourcing stuff, so, like, think, like, Uber for uh, third-party inspections. Did that for a um, little over two years. We were acquired, took a little break in the move to the nonprofit space for a couple of years, and now I'm back uh, running a, um, an older startup, a little more mature startup, um, kind of in that B-round phase called Moncierge, where we do uh, we do the connecting between the guests and the staff at places like, uh, hotels, hospitals, um, things like that. So we're a Apple mobility partner. So get flat to Cupertino quite a bit and the Apple guys come in and hang out with us uh, a good amount. And so, uh, it's been, been a fun, fun to adventure this last almost a year now.
1: Awesome. Tell us about that. Uh, you know, mobility play. I mean, you got all kinds of technology I imagine going on. Obviously there's apple centricity i'm sure uh you have to be cross-platform so you must have like a a pretty substantial stack behind all of that just walk us through what some of that looks like
2: yeah so we we do um some of the interesting things are uh, we do a lot with apple tv which is a little uh unique um in the space and so we we put apple tvs in hotel rooms we put them in hospitals we even put them on cruise ships uh and and that uh allows the guest whenever they come into uh their room. Uh, hopefully, you know. Hopefully, it's a good circumstance, and it's a hotel, and not a bad circumstance. as a hospital, but either way, uh, we have some custom remotes because Apple remotes don't necessarily play well and they're with some of the, the restarting devices and the mobile device management we have to do. But that allows us to tie into um, uh, a request system. So, so we've done some interesting things with pulling in TV on um, being able to be pretty much uh, provider agnostic. So, if they want to do something over the air, or they want to use Comcast or Cox or tv whatever it is, we bring in the television. And then we wrap that around uh, the ability for somebody to make requests. So if you're at a hotel, the ability to do uh request an extra towel or to have somebody come up and, and clean your room or to order room service, uh, any anything uh, along those lines, as well as just quickly being able to see you know, amenities that are there on site. And so, yeah, I mean, to your point, in terms of um, uh, being on, on both sides, both the, the Android and the, the iOS side, uh, any... Anything that we feel that a guest is bringing in, uh, we are straight cross-platform, so we can't dictate to a guest uh, what device they're bringing in, so, so we have both uh, Android and iOS um, technology in place for anything that's, that's guests uh, that, that a guest would bring on-site, but uh, we have been pretty fortunate that we've, we've taken a, a relatively hard stance that anything that's on the um, uh, provider side uh, is Apple-only. That allows us to, to focus in a lot better and not have to, to build out um, teams so much. Uh, and uh, honestly, it helps us to have a, a really good relationship with Apple. Uh, and, and, and as being part of that mobility partnership uh, program, um, they like to be able to say, hey, this provider is, is providing an Apple environment. Uh, and uh, selfishly, I guess, from, from my point of view, it's really easy to only have to, to develop for a few different devices and and, and not have to, to chase the, the Kit Kats and all the, the various versions um, that we have to on the, the client side.
1: So what's that like from the mobility partner side? You know, a lot of times people are thinking about real basic, right? I have to get my app in the app store and get approved, and then that feels onerous. Uh, you're way up there at the the top of the the chain. Can you maybe extrapolate some tips and and tricks that people would be able to use even on the the smaller company side or companies oh, that are yeah. a little larger?
2: Yeah, for sure. We're we're definitely. I would say we're definitely on the smaller company side. Uh, so so I can definitely help out there, and we've worked with some some on this midsize as well. So, but yeah, um, I think uh, some of the, the tricks is, is to make sure that you're utilizing all of the uh, newest features that Apple is rolling out. So whenever Apple's talking about um, things like Face ID, um, they're, they're going to want you to have Face ID. If they're talking about 3D touch, they're going to want to make sure your, your apps have 3D touch. There's not going to be a, um, uh, a partner brought up on stage uh, at, at an Apple event, that's that's doing so that doesn't have that, that kind of technology that's not doing things that are native and we do uh, our fair amount in react uh, react native um, but the really deeper integrated things especially when you start messing around with sensors and things like that almost everything we do is is in uh, swift and so uh, that's important uh, to apple uh, in terms of, of them wanting to show off that their their technology can can handle everything and you don't need some third-party vendor um, but on the other hand on the the client side, it's, it's nice to whenever we're on both, uh, Android and iOS to be able to, to have a common, uh, core base with, with the react native, um, in terms of, uh, just, uh, advice, uh, it, we're not really a whole lot different than anybody else. Uh, you just, you just you, you get your, your license, whatever that costs 99 bucks or, or whatever it is, um, to be able to submit to the store. Um, uh, and I think what's helped us, uh, get to where we are is we're in a relatively niche environment in this uh, staff uh, to guest communication piece in in the hospitality industry. And um, Apple has several different uh, verticals that they go after and hospitality happens to be one of them. And uh, that being the case, uh, there are not a lot of people doing what we do. And so uh, they approached us about joining the, the partnership program. And so that's not really advice. Uh, I guess the advice might be to, to find something that's that's not overly crowded and uh, is, is relatively niche and get really, really good at it and make sure all of you, you're following all of all of the latest, greatest things that Apple's rolling out.
1: What's your engineering team organization uh, look like? How are, how are you deploying people and, um, you know, managing and, and sort of, uh, pushing out new features, dealing with technical debt, those types of things.
2: Yeah, so um, we we have a, a like I said, a pretty small team. We only have ten engineers uh, on our team, so so we're we're it's the smallest team that I've worked with in a very long time. But uh, we're we're really good. Uh, we do work with a couple of uh, various contractors who help us out in some of the more niche areas, uh, specifically around some things like DevOps, uh, uh, some CI/CD type things, making sure that we're we're good there um we do uh run testing uh that was something that that wasn't necessarily in place before i came on uh, something that terrifies me when it's not in place uh, just because you don't know what it's going to break uh when when you update um of some small piece that you don't think's a big deal and all of a sudden you've brought the whole uh, app down and so uh so we we're, were we're in the process of getting some good infrastructure in place uh we're, we're improving our test coverage it's still not anywhere where we'd like it to be but it's it's significantly better than than where it was and we're moving in, in that direction um, our stack uh, we use uh, currently we use github and Jira uh, in terms of kind of project management and, and code we're actually looking pretty hard right now at, at GitLabs. labs uh, um, uh, that's seems to be doing some some interesting things um, for us we, we uh, all of our back end is node um, so we have some legacy uh, .net, um, but here we're we're based out of here in Oklahoma City, and uh, it's a relatively uh, energy heavy area, oil and gas and for whatever reason that that in particular industry was is pretty heavy in the the Microsoft stack the net stack and so there's um there's a lot of uh engineering available whenever kind of the company kicked off about ten years ago um that was from, that was familiar in that stack, and so that's something that we've slowly transitioned over the last you know year or so. Um, to, to getting on uh, a JavaScript stack uh, with Node. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we, run, uh, we run a Kanban-style uh, Agile, so um, I'm a big proponent of Lean. Uh, the 12 years that I worked for that manufacturing company and made all the trophies, it was a Lean manufacturing shop, uh, and so that made it really easy to, to get really familiar in the, the software side of things. So um, the Poppen Dykes have a really great book on Lean software development, uh, it's probably uh, getting older now uh, uh, but it's, it's still uh, very very applicable. Um, and so, so we, we run our we run our sprints if you want to equate it to, to more of a scrum style we run our sprints around features instead of around times um, focusing on doing things like uh, eliminating waste wherever we can. Uh, and so that's why like CICD is so important uh, to us testing is so important. Um, to us, we've we've reorganized our teams where we actually sit. Um, our teams either sit physically in the same area, or if it's if there's somebody remote, their their screen is up where we can see that person kind of in the same area. So we're trying to to elim- eliminate any kind of attraction um, uh, or, or um, any kind of negative. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Any kind of distance, I guess, um, that somebody has to go where where we're constantly um, in a spot to where people uh, people can always ask questions I think that's one of the hardest things about uh, being remote versus being local is all those little side conversations that happen that people don't think necessarily are important but are oftentimes really critically important and so we try to eliminate that by uh, having uh, an always on camera uh, where people are always there and always in the loop and and they're they're catching some of that side chatter those those side comments and making sure that those are those are um, not something that happen off to one side, so we're, we're really um, pretty hardcore about our communication, making sure that everybody on the team is, is constantly via that on slack or, or or verbally kind of through some kind of a video chat.
1: Yeah, talk about how you set that up, specifically that remote video chat always on you know because I think that's something that people struggle with you're like you're saying, managing particularly the mixed on site versus Remote, and you know, you want to be able to support the remote workforce because we we know things are going that direction. Um, but but that persistence and that frictional communication, huge deal. How do you actually set that up and make that effective?
2: Yeah, I think that's because I think you're right. More and more uh, people are going remote, um, and so it's something that we took on whenever, whenever we first came here. Is, is that we've got to be good at remote and we have beautiful offices um, here and really nice chairs and things like that. We know one uh, we can't always recruit people to come uh, to Oklahoma City as as beautiful as I think it is. Uh, It's not everybody's it's top of everybody's list of of places they want to live. Uh, And two um, sometimes people uh, just want to work from home Uh, even if if they are here they, they you know even maybe they come into the office one day a week, maybe they come out to the office every other week. And so uh, in order to to attract the best talent, which was, was our driver, uh, we knew we had to be good at, at remote. And so, so we immediately started putting uh, a lot of things in place whenever, whenever I came on and, and brought some of my team with me. And, and one of that is that, that always on um, video piece. And so uh, we utilize uh, Zoom primarily. Uh, and so we just have Zoom rooms open uh, all the time. Uh, and we have basically, it's almost like somebody's desk and it's part of kind of this like pod system and they, they sit there and and different computers can see different computers and you can see if there's multiple people, uh, up in the zoom meeting, we, we run the kind of the grid, the square grid view. So you can see the different faces and, um, the mics are always on. and, And that's not to say that somebody may not step away and walk away for a bit, the mic, but the mics are always on just trying to catch any of those kinds of side conversations and, and it's, it's crazy how often that happens. And, and I, I think one of the, maybe the fallacies of, of open environments was, is that, you know, people will catch uh, a side conversation and they will, uh, they'll uh, say, oh, hey, I understand something about that. And actually be able to work whenever I think if you walk through most environments, you realize most of the time people have headphones on. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of times people take their headphones off and, and, and spin around and have a quick conversation and. Um, we wanted to make sure that that was easy uh, to do for the people that are remote as well as the people who are here on site. Uh, and, and honestly, I didn't think it was possible um, to, to run a mixed team really well. I, I think it's really straightforward to run an all on site team, and I think it's really straightforward to run an all-remote team. But the mix, I think, is where it gets pretty complicated. And so we're still learning. We're still very much learning. But, but that's been a pretty good uh, solution for us so far is just having that screen up to where people can can be there and, and be present, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, in, in that team and, and to be able to, to chime in and maybe they just ping somebody on Slack and say, hey, turn around, I got a question for you, uh, just like you might uh, if you're sitting in the office. So um, I, I don't know that Zoom is the best technology for us forever, um, but that's, that's what we're using uh, right now. And uh, it's, it's, it's super low tech. It's, it's Zoom on an old outdated laptop that people don't want to work on anymore. Uh, and just kind of up up in the background. And so between Zoom and we use Slack for our screen sharing as well as our, our communication, um, that that's it's working pretty well so far.
1: Anything you ran into that would be a, a gotcha that others could avoid when they're starting to get into um, trying to you know do this you know, kind of thing?
2: Um, yeah, I think the, and that's a good point the, the, the microphone issue can get really bad, especially when it, with crosstalk um, they can get, it's, but if you're listening in, if you're remote, uh, I, I didn't really realize how bad it was until I was remote. And, uh, I was, I was trying to call in. I was like, I don't know how you guys do this on a, on a daily basis. And so, um, we invested in some pretty inexpensive, uh, mics that we just, we have on everybody's, uh, computer. Um, and that, that helps a lot with, with not, not, um, catching so much of kind of the crosstalk and, um, that, but that was the worst, was, um, was the, the lack of, of microphone kind of situation there for the, the people, their local, the remote people for the most part had pretty good setups, uh, but it was the, the, the people who were here local uh, who didn't maybe have headphones on, didn't, uh, you know, some have any kind of a, a microphone other than just using their computer and picking up all kinds of sounds. And so, so switching to where we have uh, mics uh, on everybody's computer was uh, was a huge help um, for us from that kind of thing to
1: avoid. Excellent tips. Thank you so much for that. I'm sure that a lot of people are thinking about doing things of this nature. I've seen some really advanced implementations of this where they'll have, you know, sort of top to bottom entire portals where people can walk up and, and talk to their colleagues. But I don't think it's necessary to go, you know, that crazy that. That you need that audio channel, you need that video channel. There's the audio visual kind of component, but that that really can't be enough when you have tools like Slack and um, you know Jira and, and other things where you're you're collaborating anyway. And and we do have I think many times a chat based culture in, in a lot of our work. It's a, it's kind of a normal right. thing for people to do. Yeah. How are you evaluating engineers? I, I like to ask all tech leads that I talk to. Um, you know, particularly because we're in the business of uh, you know, vetting and hiring really, really high-end engineers, and and we take that seriously, um, you know, start to finish on our process. But I always like to know, what are you doing in the field? What are the heuristics when you're hiring to to bring people on? And you know, how do you know they're the?
2: Yeah. So um, I I I get to speak usually once a year at the University of Oklahoma and talk to to the engineering groups there, the computer science teams, and people. One of the questions that always comes up is, what's the most important language? Um, that I should learn. I always say, say English uh, is the most important language you should learn because communication is such a big deal. Um, So we look, uh, we look really hard to make sure that we feel like somebody is a a good uh, fit that they, that they can communicate and talk. And, and I don't know if that's different than what other people do. It's different than a few places that I've been involved in. Uh, But it's really, really important to me um, that we can have conversations that we can go uh, back and forth. And I I say English kind of flippantly. I mean, if somebody's native language is Spanish or whatever it might be, but the ability to communicate on a, on a human level, um, we place an enormous amount of weight on that. Um, also do a lot of actual background check calling. Um, I don't know if a lot of people actually call the references, uh, but I usually do. Uh, and I'm always amazed at how many people uh, will say things like off the record. And I was like, yeah. And then and they give me the real kind of lowdown. And I'm, and I'm always com- confused of why somebody would have put something like that as a, a recommendation. Uh, but but I, I, think, uh, I think it's more uh, important than people give weight to. Because for us, fit is incredibly important that they come in and they fit our team. I, I tell people this all the time. I spend more time with engineers here than I do with my son. Uh, and maybe that's because I'm, I'm a terrible dad, but the truth is, is, I'm I'm only home three or four hours at night before he's in bed, and I'm here, you know, eight to ten hours every day. And so, I, I want to make sure that we work with people uh, that fit our culture, um, that 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 fit in with our team really well, uh, and then and then we do. So that's why that follow up, and then we do we do some whiteboarding. Um, we don't go super super hardcore, uh, but we do enough to where we'll ask. Uh, enough pretty pointed questions our director of engineering is a really smart dude and he'll ask enough pointed questions to get a pretty good baseline of what you said on your resume is it true uh, and so so we we do that we, we take a good hard look at the resume we run a couple of of uh, questions i say a couple usually takes about 30 45 minutes of just kind of q a we will whiteboard sometimes sometimes we'll just go through like um you know if you were in this kind of situation how would you set up this environment uh, depending on, on the role, just to make sure that, that what they said is true, uh, call on those references and then make sure we feel like that they, they would be a good uh, fit um, on our team and uh, we put a pretty high uh, high um, value on diversity uh, just because I feel like having a lot of different voices on your team and a lot of different backgrounds brings a lot of um, um, produces better software in the end. Um and so that's that's something that we look for too, not just uh uh racial diversity, uh socioeconomic differences, um, of course gender, uh anything like that. I, I we're we're trying to hire the best person every single time that we can. Um and and sometimes that, that means looking for people who have come from different backgrounds and may approach problems in different ways. And so uh but yeah, for the most part, we're we're just um we're looking at the resume making sure the resume is legit, calling some references, and, and making sure that they have the ability to um, jump in and, and, and fit in with, with our team.
1: Last question. So you made reference to, you know, 20-year career. I'm interested how those views on, on what makes, you know, a great team member maybe have evolved, you know, with some things that you used to think that you don't think anymore, you know, in your wisened years in, in tech.
2: Yeah, so uh, a few things. Uh, I started off uh, originally uh, writing in Cold Fusion. Uh, if anybody remembers the old Macromedia cold fusion days and then quickly the classic ASP. And so that's, uh, that's, I'm not, I'm not COBOL old, but I'm, I'm close. Uh, and so I think some of the things uh, that have changed more for me, uh, one was I used to just straight hire for fit and figure out we would work out skill. Um, and I, I think the downside to hiring for fit followed by skill as opposed to skill followed by fit, um, is uh, you end up with a team that, that looks and acts a lot like you do. Um, and so uh, by trying to, to take a broader view of, of hey, this person has the skill set that we need, let's make sure that they're a fit, as opposed to just, okay, hey, we like hanging out with this guy at this user group, let's see if we can get him on the team. Uh, I think that's allowed us to, to hire a wider range of, of engineers that are, that are honestly in the end more talented because they do bring some, some different perspectives, and they're not just necessarily hanging out and doing the things um, uh, that we do. Uh, I probably place less of an emphasis uh, today um, than I would have 20 years ago for sure on uh, education. Uh, and more of an emphasis on experience. And I don't necessarily mean years of experience, but I love finding that, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-old guy or girl uh, who's been coding since they're 12. Um, and, and just finding those types of people and, and, and not maybe uh, putting as much of an emphasis on, on those degrees as, as I used to. And I still think they're, they're important. I still think they provide a, a good foundation uh, in terms of uh, actual doing computer science work. Um, but, but I think you miss a lot of really talented engineers, uh, if you have this set of requirements up front as well, we require, you know, so many year, we require four year degree in this and we require a master's in that. And I think you end up missing some really good people if you're really, really rigid in that way. And so I would say that that's something that I've changed, uh, a lot as well as, you know, kind of going back to that initial piece of just trying to find skill and then fit after that.
1: Great insights. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoyed talking today.
2: Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Anytime.
1: Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers
2: actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.